Oh, heck yeah! You are listening to the Nick Flanagan Weekly Podcast. I, your titular host, Nicholas, will be guiding you through this audio journey. If I weren't here to talk, it would just be the intro music and then the extra music, or perhaps the outro music, whichever you prefer to call it. But I am here to talk. So that is an alternate reality where this podcast is just intro, outro music. So be safe, though, beloveds. Shout out to Taxstone. Uh, Taxstone was a uh, revolutionary podcaster uh, of the, uh, in, in the world of hip hop. And uh, then he was implicated in the murder of a, a friend of a rapper. And uh, everything went downhill after that. But <clears throat> he did say great things like, be safe, though. Be safe, beloved. And that's how I feel. Everyone, be safe. Chill. This is right now in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, a very gloomy time. We had the cold. We had the fresh driven snow. And now there is rain and melting. And the snow has that sort of uh, you know, gritty, grayish black kind of, uh, what'd you call it? Like markings all over it. And of course, dog pee. And I am a contributor to that because I got these three dogs here and let me, I'll tell you right now, they're ha happily resting and I hope it stays that way. And they should be because I have spent a lot of time with them today. I've spent a lot of time with them for the last three weeks, four weeks, however long it's been, uh, I have been uh, home alone, like Kevin McAllister and probably other people named Kevin, Kevin McAllister of Home Alone, and uh, I'm going a bit, a bit nutty. Um, I won't lie. Last week, the last week especially, has been just like felt so punitive, so very punitive. The gloom, the doom, the rooms that we just go to and fro from. So if you're feeling that, I am with you. I get it. And um, we're going to, we're, we're, we're really going to just, we're going to just power through this into the next crazy thing. Because right now I'm thinking it's just all going to be nutty things for the next little while. And that's okay. Uh, life is a journey and sometimes journeys have, uh, like, uh, what do you call it? The second act, maybe we're at the end of the second act, which if you're on, if you're not 40, uh, plus, I'm sorry that your second act started so early in your life the, or the third act. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, weird, weird happenings are afoot and there's a lot of vaccinating. And, uh, you know, cases of COVID are going down. I just I just read that in California, a COVID conference that was indoors uh, led to quite a lot of COVID cases. So just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you shouldn't stay away from other people. And that's why my doctor has not been seeing human beings very much since this all started. And I have so many questions for my doctor and they have to happen over the phone. And you know what? I get a little gun shy on the phone. 
my doctor calls me. I'm just like, how's it going? How are you? I just do the small talk in the, in the that we normally do in the doctor's room, the doctor's examination room, home of the glove. And uh, then, then after the small talk, I've forgotten what my issue was, and I, I hang up. But it's nice to talk to a doctor, even if it is about things that aren't important to you. What do you think of your doctor? Tell me at weeklypodcast at gmail.com. That's W-E-A-K-L-Y podcast at gmail.com. I want to start off by thanking uh, all the people uh, who have supported this podcast. Uh, I really appreciate it. You know, I, I was looking at some of the patrons and it's like, wow, like you gave me like $100 over, over several months. That's amazing. And it really helps. And um, I appreciate that. There are lots of costs. And uh, as you know, even just being alive without a podcast, what is up with all these costs? Um, so start a Patreon just for being alive. You deserve it. Maybe I'll even give you $1 a month. That uh, I'm giving a few podcasts $1 a month. Most of them are comedy podcasts. It's kind of like a moral support thing. Hey, I'm with you. But... Let's not go nuts. You're totally welcome to give me a dollar a month or nothing a month uh, or nothing a year or nothing through my entire life because you are giving me something and that is your ears. You are friends, you are Romans, you are countrymen and women and non-binary people and you have lent me your ears and I appreciate it and I won't abuse your ears unless I get the bicycle horn handy, but that's upstairs, so I don't have that or the keyboard right now to play some nice music. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, it has been just such a, a slog. My mind is just trapped in that thing where I'm, I'm like, you know, mildly upset, not even sure about what the uncertainty of it all is, is is feeling hard on me there's like personal like difficulties and um it's just a lot and and um i haven't done a podcast for like four or five days and and again i i keep i i have like two missions with the podcast which are the solo episodes like this and the ones where i uh, talk to people and those are always really fun, but I had my man Andy editing them, and edit and edity and it Andy Andy edit uh, has a uh, he can't edit right now for me. So I have this episode, this interview with my friend Lucas that's just been sitting there. Well, I've been I've been chipping away at it, but man, is it taking me a while. And the problem is, the longer I take doing that, the more bummed I am on uh that and the harder it is for me to just like do a podcast like right now it's like it's very easy for me to go well i won't record i'll just edit and then it's 10 p.m and i'm like not editing and i've decided against recording so today i just said frick it i will record and that is where we're at right now i'm recording and what's happened this week well um I watched Crystalia, Crystalia, Crystalia. I don't know. Someone, Crystal, you know, the, the guy from Whitney, and uh, he's a popular comedian who was uh, called out about 
messaging with underage fans and stuff and asking for photos and then he kind of went away for about six or seven months and then he did an apology video so i watched the apology video where he went in depth about he's a sober person but uh that he had a, a basically a sex addiction in this apology he even said he cheated on his fiance um which is wild to me not that he would cheat on his fiance although sure that's wild to me but it's like did you have to announce that we don't need to know i guess your fiance is cool with this but i i'm glad he's not my fiance because i i would have said no thanks please don't tell your your people and everybody went online and went you know oh i you know he sucks and his apologies uh pointless and he starts talking about how easy it is to hook up and that's like a reason why he had this sort of sex addiction and he felt like it was a reward that he deserved for um years of being a nerd or something and yeah like that's a thin excuse but it, i don't know if he was using it as an excuse so much as like the logic of how he managed to be messaging all these people and how it got out of control and, and the fact is i think anyone who's been in a position of like touring or whatever knows about the strain of it and some of the like things people do to quote self-medicate unquote and it probably does involve you know sex or hooking up for a lot of people and um that's gross in retrospect and uh it's a good example that like don't worry about doing that now i mean look the guy's like a bazoolian era he's talking about being on the road and stuff guy could probably fly right after his show and right before his show f off so he, he didn't need to be there hooking up. I mean, he, he he did take advantage of that. But I do think also, oh, the idea of like hundreds of thousands of people, maybe a million people, analyzing an apology, that's a nightmare. That is a nightmare. He put himself in this position. He decided to make the apology video. But... This is the world we're at where, like, we got nothing to do. We're deeply analyzing apologies. We're deeply analyzing individual behavior. And uh, is that healthy? I don't know. I try to analyze my behavior, and I got bummed out. So what, you're going to analyze it now and also get bummed out? Spare yourself. Analyze the stars. Analyze the sky. As Ghostface Killa said in the song, All That I Got Is You. And wonder, was I meant to be here? Why? Quoting my hip-hop faves today. And uh, then today, my friend sent me an email, uh, a message of an article that was in the magazine called the... Uh, a website magazine called the, the New Republic Rag and it was called the comedy industry has an alt-right problem which is like to me this was something 
this felt like an article that was from like 2017. I don't, I, I don't know how enmeshed you guys are in the uh, uh, like world of articles about comedy, but it, it just felt like three, four years ago, there were five years ago now, there were like loads of articles about like, here's some racist comedy. Don't support it. And this is one where it said it was like ostensibly taking down comedy for is written by this guy Seth Simons who's written a lot of these types of pieces and um, taking down comedy like like t trying to reveal comedians who have um, what do you call it like appeared on shows that alt-right people had comedy clubs that feature these people and it's it reads like half an article there's very little kind of quotes from anybody he, he talks about. And a lot of it is just focused on what the problem really is, which is uh, fan bases being super toxic. Because he was doxxed by someone's fans and, you know, there's all these people who rally behind uh, him, uh, behind the people who he's called out, like, I don't know, Legion of Skanks, where the fuck that is. And uh, then he brings up Gavin McInnes, the vice founder. Beard guy. One of the saddest figures, maybe of the 20th century, maybe even the 21st. And he's like, oh, Gavin, you know, is a white supremacist, found the, found the Proud Boys and... And he had some show and he had all these, com these comedians went on this show. And it's like, if we're going to just call out individual comedians for going on shows. Oh, and this, which do, his white supremacy didn't deter them. Well, in 2012, I, not voluntarily exactly, but I wound up opening for Gavin, you know, who was very well known in my like circle of, of friends. I'm sure we had some mutual friends. I mean, I know we had some mutual friends. And... Um, he was booked by a festival to perform. And there's about one comedy booker who is mentioned in this whole article. When comedy bookers are and executives and managers, like they're the ones who need to be asked about this kind of stuff. It, like just because someone went on somebody's podcast or something, like a comedian... Comedians spent, you know, what, 20, 30 years going on morning radio? Just randomly showing up half asleep and talking to some guy who probably had just made about a million disgusting jokes. Um, these sub-Howard Stern type of people. That was just a reality. So I'm not really sure what, what you're proving besides that, like, comics are so scared for their careers and for people not coming to their shows, that they'll do almost any appearances. Like, is that the issue? Because the list of comics he has, although I'm sure there's people who are, you know, not good or whatever, who are in that list, are just, they're just comics. They're just people. They're just individuals. And when you call it also an alt-right problem, well, what's the alt-right right now? 
I would say the comedy industry doesn't have a alt alt right problem. I would say that fandom has a cult problem. People who are fans of things are too they get too defensive about what they like because it's something that makes them happy. And that's not to say if you're a fan of this, please remain a fan. But if I go, oh, like, I hate this loser. You don't have to hate that loser. You know, that's my job. And I'm going to, because if I say I hate somebody, what I'm trying to probably do behind the scenes is no longer hate them. Not to say, like, you know, get into whatever it is I don't like about them, but try to get past caring. And um, I don't really want to spread a certain type of negativity. There are people that I think are, like, straight up harmful, and I will say that. And ideally, I could ask them about it if I had a chat with them. But, like, if I'm trying to single out a reporter or something, that ain't good. That's where we're at now with music, too. And, and, and culture in general. I saw someone on Twitter, some lady posted this thing where it's like, some lady, oh my god. <laughs> if you still listen to my podcast, person who tweeted at me mad that I asked if somebody was a babe, um... I'm sorry I said some lady. And I'm sorry I said that person was a, asked if they were a babe. Sorry is a strong word, but I guess what I mean is like, mm, <laughs> I wish I had more imaginative ways of using words. Anyway, this filmmaker, a woman who had actually directed Punisher Warzone, which is a fairly good Punisher movie, uh, she said that, like, don't be mad if people say they don't like old movies. Old movies are all, uh, are, are all like, racist and sexist, so don't worry about it. And everybody on Twitter got really mad at, at her. I don't think this statement was is, like, defensible. It's quite a broad, general statement. But seeing the way that people joyously jump on a dumb statement in droves is stressful to me. Maybe because a statement like that, which, although very hard to actually defend in a court of law, <laughs> let's say there was a trial, she was arrested for saying she didn't like old movies, and then she had to defend why. They might give some examples of movies that would pass the test, and maybe she would be found guilty and sent to film school again. But what she said was not racist. It was not sexist. And it had the same ire that someone who said something really gross or negative or just, you know, hateful would say. Like, like so, so I don't... I, I I don't know what the answer is. It's just that we gotta like tone down our anger. Not that I'm I don't know if I'm contributing to this because I'm mad about social media and ready to get off Twitter. I just don't know. Um, 
how. It feels like a connection to the real, to the world on some level, and it's, I appreciate having that connection at this time of only dogs. So that was just me, blah, throwing it all out there, telling you how I feel about this shit. Gavin sucks. But to get into the why Gavin McInnes has had a longer period of relevancy than mindfulness is worth exploring. And it's not as simple as these guys went on a show he did in 2016. This is traceable back to like the early days of Vice magazine. In fact, what's so funny is like this cringe comedy, Legion of Skanks, like edgy humor from like, you know, New Jersey comedy clubs. How did that collide with someone like Gavin, who was super un-PC, but the only comedians he hung out with were... Um, so-called alternative comedians of the early 2000s, whether it's like John Glazer or David Cross, Sarah Silverman, you know, just keeps going. So like, how did those two worlds collide? And because I think that's where the negative fandom comes in. There was a show called Opie and Anthony and this guy, Anthony Cumia was a very, uh, Again, a pretty disgusting human being. I was always a Howard Stern fan, so I stayed away from Opie and Anthony. But they had this fan base to call themselves pests. And they were all over the internet. And they were very, very true to their name. So when you combine the kind of annoying, edgy fans of stuff fan base with somebody who comes from the complete other side well this edgy fan base thinks they're cooler and this Gavin McInnes now has alienated all of his friends and he has a whole new um, audience and it includes a lot of the people who learned to like him during Vice because Vice gave a lot of people a lot of permission to say and do a lot of things. Um, and people maybe felt like they weren't cool if they called, tried to, to say something about it. And I wasn't one of those people who was like, oh, God, Vice is so, so offensive. I wasn't really like that. There were a lot of skater magazines. There were a lot of um, a lot of that comedy, that dark whatever comedy, like I liked that stuff. I still like some of it now. And, and uh, I didn't feel that comfortable with Vice, mostly because it made you feel like you weren't cool enough when you were reading it. So when my band would start getting covered in Vice, that was when I was like, oh, Vice must be going downhill a bit. Losing its edge. Because <laughs> I was always like, well, 
these guys are, they're doing something cool and I'm not that cool and that's fine. And so, I mean, I was talking to my friend today and it really was that, that on some level vice is such like a symbol of our era. Like it, it started one way and it, in some sense it always had like some of the politics that it still has, but because of money, because of changes in leadership, now it's like completely different than how it started without being able to comment on how it started. I mean, I don't know. If you if you know an article that's a, from a vice writer about like what their early uh, um, incarnation, their earlier incarnation, what would you say, rot or like like what responsibility they feel for with that, I'd love to read an article like that. And I, I think the reason uh, probably Vice isn't writing about that is because of some sort of NDA with Gavin when they bought him out as a co-founder because they don't even talk about him. So I would imagine if like they can't do interviews about him, they probably can't write articles that really bring him up a lot. So anyway, I just thought this article um, and, and the New Republic one second. So it's in the New Republic. Like it's called the comedy industry has an alt-right problem. And instead of talking about the industry itself, it talks about a lot of the comedians within who are freelance workers, basically in the gig economy. And it's in the New Republic, which is like a famous Republican magazine conservative magazine. They don't care about the alt-right. In fact, the seeds of something like the alt-right, whatever that means, were kind of sown in magazines like the, the New Republic. The editor was Andrew Sullivan, who w was one of the main anti-Muslim people after 9-11. Uh, Huge. And he's kind of done like a slight 180 and mostly because he was like an anti-Trump conservative. But also they did articles about like the bell curve and interviewing Charles Murray and talking about race and IQ. And and so if he's going to, if you're going to have an article about people's associations, why are you writing an article in a magazine that has a history of racism? It doesn't make any sense. And so... Well, I appreciate what you're trying to do, what this, what he's trying to do, because I do think that trying to, I don't even know, like trying to fucking separate grifters, con artists and unfunny people. Uh, in comedy and, and point out how shit they are. Is. I guess good. I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, like, it just feels like such a waste of space. But on the other hand, there is something to trying to take, figure out like systematically 
systemically what's going on in the comedy industry. That's interesting to me. But trying to say, oh, this person uh, toured with Nick DiPaolo. What are you going to do? Oh, my God. I know who a lot of my listeners are, and I know you're just being like, I don't know any of the words or names you just said, but it sounds bad. <laughs> and if you want me to elaborate on this, weeklypodcast at gmail.com. But if you read this article, which you don't have to do, just let me know what you think or what you want to know. Because it tells about like one one hundredth of the story. And I'm sorry this guy got doxxed. I'm sorry he dealt with like a terrible fan base and Twitter assholes. But this is not this is not gonna fix, solve, or help anything. And what will? That is my question for you. Thank you for listening. I have just had a super duper 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 good time talking. It's almost like you're right here next to me, just listening, so bored, wondering when I'll finish, and I'm just going on and on and on. And that's a beautiful feeling. If you want to support the podcast, as I mentioned earlier off the top, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan or patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan. My dream is to be providing you with um, a nonstop stream of patron-only content, but I am so far from that. I mean, I can't even edit my interviews right now. So I really want to get you good stuff. I have good stuff that I can put out there for you. It's just organizing it all and getting it together is going to be a thing. But yes, if you contribute, um, it will be appreciated, and I will send you something. If it's just a thank you, it will be very heartfelt. Have a great night or day. Take care.